I sat down just before Valentine's Day and talked to my friend Allison Victoria Olson about love. She has turned her passion for love into a business, helping others find new levels of enlightenment related to love, hidden power inside the word, and finding new perspective that makes life better. This was a fun conversation that went in multiple directions, all related to love. Not only did we get to share lots of personal viewpoints with one another, but Allison gave me a huge gift, something I really needed in my repertoire of perspective. I'm even going to add a chapter to my book on self-esteem because of it. I hope as you listen to this, you're able to set aside any closed-minded thoughts on what love is and can be, and you benefit from our pleasure in this subject. This is something we could have talked about for much longer, and honestly, I think it's a subject worth coming back to another time because the size of love is magically endless. Please listen and consider sharing any love stories you may have with Allison or myself. I'd love to do a podcast dedicated to sharing personal stories that my listeners share with me. Our emails are thesecretpowerofLove at gmail.com, that's Allison's, and mine, natinchatpodcast at gmail.com. I'm with Allison Victoria Olson today. She has her bachelor's in metaphysics. She's also a non-denominational chaplain. Her business is The Secret Power of Love. Welcome, Allison. I'm so glad to have you. And this topic is very exciting to me because it is, in my opinion, one of the most valuable topics we could talk about. Well, Natalie is so great to be here. Thank you for having me. And I'm glad that you feel the same way. That's how I feel too. It's something that the whole world needs is to talk about love. I feel as though I have so many opinions on it because of the life that I've led and the things that I've seen and experienced, not just with love, but with a lack of love. Mm -hmm. And so I have a lot to say, but because you and I haven't actually talked about what you do, before we get started, if people want to get in touch with you or if people want to learn more. Uh, the best way to get a hold of me or to find out more about the information that I offer, my website is thesecretpoweroflovellc.com and you can find the ebook on Amazon and it's called Discover Love, The Secret Power of You. And I have an office in Spanish Fork, Utah email, which is the secret power of love at gmail.com. Okay. And I just love to hear people's stories, any kind of experience they have of love. Nice. Love to hear it. Do you have any social media? I'm avenues? on Facebook, which is the secret power of love. Okay. Thank you. I see you multiple times a year, but never long enough for us to just have a, a deep conversation about love. Isn't it funny that we're doing it here <laughs> together? I love it. It's great. And like this weekend, it's Valentine's weekend and we get to talk about love. Yes. How exciting. Because we were going to record last week mm -hmm. and it, it just didn't work out. And so now we're recording two days before Valentine's. <laughs> One day before Valentine's. Depends if we're counting today. That's right. Let's start by, well, we, we could start wherever you like. An explanation of your business would be super valuable because what is the secret power of love and how would you turn that into a business? That's, I think, the looming question, really. Yeah. I started studying a lot about love and I thought, well, I need to turn this into a business. So I set up a business name. There's a secret about love 
that people don't really understand. But once you explain it to them, they're like, oh, well, yeah, okay, that could be it. And then other people are like, oh, yeah, that's it. And so I just said, you know what, let's do the secret power of love because I want people to pay attention to it and realize that love is super powerful. And love is much more than just this romantic love. There's so much more to love. And just like you were saying earlier, you have your feelings about the lack of love and what love is. And I think too many times we get into this mindset that love looks like romance or love for your family or love for your children, love for friends, that kind of a thing. But we're talking about something that's so much bigger, and that is a divine kind of love. Mm -hmm. There are two words that come to mind as being words we take for granted, assuming we know what they are. When the reality is they are so many things that we almost can't comprehend their fullness. Those two words are energy and love because there are so many different kinds of energy and all we have is this one word and occasionally we can throw another word in front of it, but there are so many kinds of energy. Love is the same. We only have this one word, love. I can love strawberry shortcake. I can love my best friends. I can love my dog. I can love in so many different ways. I personally think these are two words that we just assume we understand because we use the word, but it's so many things. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. That's where a lot of times people talk about vibration. Mm. Because when we talk about energy, it's like there's different vibrations. That's why you can walk into a room and there's someone that's super happy and smiley and you just go up to that person. You want to be around that person versus you may go home and someone's in a bad mood and you don't want to be around them. Well, they're in two different vibrations mm -hmm. and they're in two different energies. They're expressing themselves differently. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you. Love is the same thing. People express love differently and we have different definitions of love. What I love about the law of attraction is years and years ago, it was known as the law of love. Oh. They don't put that out there anymore. They always just say it's the law of attraction. And this is what my message is, is that we do things that we love. We love to eat cereal or we love to drink Starbucks because I do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or we love to go hiking or I love my boyfriend, or I love my wife, or I love my children, or I love to study, or I love to work hard, and I love to be known as a workaholic. I love money. I want to make more money. I love so many things. But what we don't consider is all the things we love to hate. Oh, Ooh, I love to hate that girl. Look at her. Well, they're loving that. They love to gossip, or they love they to be love addicted. They love the negativity. Yeah. Being negative in any sorts. And even like people that love to fight for their religion, you know, there's people mm. that would kill for their religion and in their mind, they love it and they mm. feel like what they are doing is justified and right, mm. but they have a passion and a love for it. It's divine to them. You remind me, some people love to argue. Oh, absolutely. It's fun for them. That's why we have attorneys and lawyers, you know, and thank heavens we do have them, but they love to argue. They love to have a good fight mm -hmm. because they know they're going to win. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're good. you know. Or they love to win. Yeah. So this is what I say is a divine love. Every single one of us have it. 
We all define love differently, but it's more of what you do that really clearly shows you what your definition of love is. Mm. So someone like yourself, you're so gifted and creative. Your house is beautiful. And the things that you create here, I absolutely know you love to create. You love to build. You're an artist. You should be an architect. You know, I would love I can to be see, an architect. <laughs> that's your love. And then you can look at other people where they're 50 pounds overweight and they just love to eat good food. I love seeing passion in whatever form it takes. I don't have to be interested in the exact same thing, but when I am, it's just even more fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. It's like the person finally gets to express themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, they have the courage, the confidence, the strength. I'm going to make dinner and I'm going to take pictures and show it and mm -hmm. plaster it everywhere because they love it. Mm -hmm. And because they love it, other people love it or mm -hmm. other people love to hate it. Uh -huh. You know? Also, you said something that I meant to comment on. I feel as though the secret ruined the expression law of attraction. And because anytime I say law of attraction, well, in fact, I avoid it. I avoid saying the law of attraction because it seems so trite now and everybody has it associated with the secret. And there just are things in life that become unfortunately trite. And that's one of them. Well, in particular with that movie. Everyone was really excited about it. And I don't remember the statistics of it, but millions and millions of people, right? Yeah. They buy the DVD, they book, they buy the books and they're really giving it their all to make it work. And then there's like a hit and miss if it's going to work mm -hmm. quickly. The audience and the population, they just kind of went, nah, not so interested anymore. Yeah. I know it's out there in that, but it doesn't work. And you the know? thing is they're doing it all the time by concentration. And so that's why yeah. I kind of prefer the word concentration is because it hasn't been muddied into a genre. We know what concentration is and it's not associated with a film, with a book, with anything that could become trite. Whatever you concentrate on, you are going to inadvertently somehow draw it to you because you're dwelling on it. You're thinking about it. You're spending time with it, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing you're still pulling it to you. And so people underestimate the power of concentration is how I would word it. Mm -hmm. And and we're so talking about the same thing though. Yes, which is why I didn't know that it used to be called the law of love. And I'm That's, like, well, oh my heck. And doesn't that, it make sense? It absolutely because does. Because then it fits everything in together. Whatever we do, we love to hate something or we love it because we love it. Yeah, It's the law of love. Uh -huh. It's this divine love. We're all using it. It's so simple. People don't get it. Mm -hmm. They just don't take responsibility Hidden in plain for the sight. things they love. Yes. And I'm using my hands a lot. I'm Please just like, do. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a, an ebook. It's called Discover Love, The Secret Power of You. And you can find it on Amazon. Okay. And that goes in to describe this, this divine love, this law of love. And that is you are practicing love every single day. I am. We all are. And I guess the real secret is, is we have to take responsibility for it. Mm. The things that we love to be addicted to, the things that we're negative about or is not the best side of ourselves. Mm -hmm. We need to take responsibility for that too, mm -hmm. because that's our divine love and we're expressing it in a negative way. Yeah. Whereas we can express it in a positive way. Yeah. 
And responsibility is a really great word. I was talking to somebody today about people not having responsibility for themselves. And it's also, in some ways, control of yourself. Mm-hmm. Like we can't control the world, but you can absolutely control how you act, how you sound, how you think, what you're going to dwell on. And we don't take responsibility or control and actively go, that's not where my mind should be. That does not serve me. Stop. New thought process. New right. thought direction. To almost interrupt, but at the same time to continue the thought, we are beings of love. And the reality is, if you believe in a God, in a creator, that we have been created, the majority of faiths believe that God is love. Right. How could we be created by something that is essentially love and not be in huge part love? It just doesn't make sense. Great question. We would have to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so as long as we don't take responsibility, then we can blame someone else mm-hmm. and we never really grow. Right. But the moment we start going, oh, wait, I didn't need to act that way. You know, so someone cut me off in traffic. I can just be like, oh, it's OK. Just this is what go. happens in traffic. Yeah. Especially when you're in Utah. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> No, it's like when people won't let you in, you know, you're like, dude, I need to get over. (laughs) Or if they're at a stop sign and they want to cross the road that you're on, but because you're on it, you have right of way, but they aren't stopped at the line of the stop sign. They're like right out in the road. There's a corner I turn on regularly (laughs) near my house and cars are always so far into the road. I literally have to turn around them because they can't just stop. At the stop sign, yeah, where it makes it easy for the cars on the road that they want to cross to get around them. And so I'm regularly saying, you can't just look at the white line. And then I'm often reminding myself, this is a daily occurrence. People always do this. I can be bugged by it or I can just accept it. (laughs) This is Utah. It is. And you know, I bet every state has their little quirky things, right? I love Utah. This is just one of ours. And that's the people don't like to let you in. If you need to get in the next lane, they hurry and speed up. And so right there, you have a choice. Am I going to get all angry and, you know, swear at them and da, 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 da? Or am I just going to go, okay, go ahead. I'll go behind you. This is traffic. This Uh is driving. This is what is often the norm. Right. And just keep your peace and be, have a happy day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It literally is a choice. It really is. It's being responsible for how you perceive that, feel about it, or even whether or not you acknowledge it. Yeah. When they start becoming responsible, it's a little scary. I mean, I bet you remember like when you started your personal spiritual journey, Mm -hmm. as I remember mine, and that is like, you have to go, oh my gosh, am I affecting things like that in a negative way? Am I doing that? Speaking from personal experience, the scariest part I found was the realizations, not necessarily working on the realizations. It's the honesty, right? The admitting, the finally seeing what you should have seen all along. That's the scariest part, but that actually can be the shortest part. Mm -hmm. Let me just be freaking honest with myself. Let me look at all these things, let it be scary. And now let's move on healing it getting over it, fixing it, 
I almost said the word repenting. That almost never comes out of my mouth. <laughs> I'm so but proud of you. As a, Good job. <laughs> as a concept, repenting it. Because to repent is to stop and move in a new direction. That's right. And you know what? We're talking about the same energy, the same vibration, the same expression of love, repentance, or change and correction. We're talking about the same action mm-hmm. using different words. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. The moment you start going, I need to change some things about myself, you know, I think that is the scariest, but that is when you unlock that stronghold in your life and it no longer has the same strength and you're able to move past that and start moving forward. Then you start realizing there's other things that you need to become more Mm self-aware. Here's a good example. You're watching a scary movie. They are going into a building And they put their hand on a door and there are noises. And you're like, sure, there's something on the other side of that door. And they're going to go in there. And as somebody who hates scary movies, I'm always like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're going to open that door not knowing what's on the other side. Then they open the door. I'm cringing, cringing, cringing. As soon as they open the door and you can see what's in there, bam, the scariness is gone because you can see what's there. Uh And so it's like that. Mm -hmm. It's so scary until you actually look at it. And then you see it and it no longer needs to be scary. It's now information. Right. You know, and if everyone could just do that, Mm -hmm. the whole world, like you were saying earlier, when we talk about everyone should just change the world and it starts with yourself, right? Yes. It's when we do this is that if we realize, okay, you're going to open that door and there's all those scary noises using your example, but you're going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Yeah, we're at the beginning of the movie. There's a whole movie that takes place. So we know that (laughs) everything will be okay. Yeah, exactly. And that's what discovering things about yourself, becoming more self-aware, that's what it's like. And Mm -hmm. I love your example of that. So we just need to encourage people. Start really looking at yourself and seeing what's do you really love, both the positive and the negative, Mm -hmm. because that is going to liberate you and give you a lot of personal confidence and strength and belief in yourself. Mm -hmm. I want to give you a quote by me, which sounds very arrogant at face value. But one of the things I say in the introduction for my intonation training that is available on Audible is I don't have to change the world to change my world. Oh, that is beautiful. I have just found that to be so true since opening the scary door of my life. And seeing everything that's there and then going, okay, now I have the information to move forward. Now I can start building the plans, the ideas, the how am I going to move forward? How Mm -hmm. will I take one more step? However you want to put it. By changing my world, I effectually change the world because I'm only living my life. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, there's some people that they haven't even been affected by the pandemic really The whole world's going through this, but it hasn't affected their life. It's because their mindset is in a different place and they're seeing things in a different place. And so they are abiding by everything and they're helping people and they're doing their part, but they're not in that fear state. Mm -hmm. And so they have looked within themselves. If they're going to die, they're going to die. And they've come to that acceptance. And so it's given them this freedom to, well, If I only had one week to live, I'm going to just be as loving or as happy 
So you really look at things differently when you have the strength, using your example again, of opening that door on Mm -hmm. your life and seeing, okay, this is what I'm working with. Or even the perspective isn't that if I die, it's I'm not going to die. I don't need to freak out. I can honestly say, and I might have said it in another podcast, 2020 was the best year I've had in more years than I can remember. And why was that for you? In huge part, because the world was put on hold. There were almost two months that I was paid to have a job and be at home. And I could do whatever I wanted. And that gift, I don't think is ever going to happen in my lifetime again. Other people haven't had it happen in their lifetime. So I wasn't freaking out. It was, we need to be at home. The world needs to figure out how to deal with this. A lot of people lost their jobs, I understand. A lot of people had to keep working through it, I understand. But in the circumstance I was given, I had the opportunity to go, oh my heck, This is a gift I'm probably never going to see again. Not only that, because of the pandemic, nobody had the ability to insist on being in my daily life. I'm an introvert and I work in a very extroverted job where I have to play an extrovert, which I'm fine to do. I can be that person, but I can't recharge as that person. I'm also one of those people that I have to have stuff in my cup to give anything from my cup, Uh my cup can deplete. Uh And when people insist on having what's in my cup on a regular basis, I do struggle. Uh 2019 was one of those years for me with multiple people. And I really, by the end of 2019, fell the fuck apart. Oh, I'm so sorry. It was multiple things, you know, it was... This thing happened with family. This thing happened with friends. This thing happened. And it was so draining of my cup that I ended 2019 a virtual mess. So 2020 arrives. January, I get COVID, get it over with. I was sick in bed for a week. Then the world started changing. Kind of come February, it didn't really end. And everybody complained the whole time. And I was left going... I like it like this. I like that people have to think twice. I like that we can't push ourselves onto each other, that we have to be respectful of one another's spaces, that we have to be flexible. These are all lessons we need in this world. So for everybody to be complaining about not having their normal every day, I just was left going, are you really going to insist that this is a problem? Can you (laughs) not be flexible enough to stay happy. And I'm going to go ahead and say this, even though I may, maybe should not. Even Ellen DeGeneres, I would hear her complaining. And I'm like, do you have any idea how many millions of people are listening to you? And this is the message over and over. She kept doing it because normally she's sharing stuff from her TV show. Mm-hmm. But because she was at home, she was sharing stuff from home. And occasionally it was positive. You know, she's sharing what her wife is cooking or something like that. Mm -hmm. But because I follow her on Instagram, I was regularly seeing what she was sharing. And I was regularly shocked that you can't be happy in your mansion and just enjoy life. And what you're sharing is in a way bad example. If -hmm. you're going to be somebody who millions watch, why not just be a better example for finding happiness in change? Mm Mm-hmm. 
it makes me think of leaders nowadays. Everything's in an uproar. And I agree with you, Natalie, that this has been the most challenging thing that I've ever lived through as a world. But I think that it's been beautiful. I remember in the summertime, just seeing families going out for walks. Now that doesn't happen a lot because everyone's too busy. But when you bring up someone that's very famous and there's other leaders everywhere, we can use this talk that we're having tonight and we can look at the people that we associate with and the people we listen to. Do they love to complain or do they love to spread positivity? Do they love to believe in honesty? Do they love to share lies? Do they love to bring peace for people? Do they love to bring prosperity for people? We can start really looking at what people are all about by the things that they do because that is the things that they love. Mm. I say people tell you who they are. All you got to do is watch and listen. That's exactly right. They will tell you who they are. Let them. Yes. And sometimes they tell us and they, they look like they're putting on a certain thing, but you have to actually watch what they literally do. That's what you know they love to do. I want to share a story, but it almost changes the subject. It's still about love. I thought of this before you came over. I thought, oh, I bet Allison would be fascinated, even not knowing all the things that we would touch on in regard to love. I wanted to read to you something from a book that is pretty fascinating. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. The book is not even related to the topic of love, Mm -hmm. but what I'm going to read to you is, I've mentioned this book in at least one podcast, Healthy Body and Soul. The book is Medical Medium by Anthony William. And at the beginning, he has to explain where he's coming from before he delves into Mm -hmm. what the book is about. The subtitle of the book is Secrets Behind Chronic and Mystery Illness and How to Finally Heal. Mm. So I know that that's not necessarily what we're talking about, although people would argue you can heal anything through love and Mm -hmm. through concentration and attraction. This was more me wanting to share with you because I thought you would find it fascinating. Oh, you're so sweet. So I'm excited to hear it. And this is literally in chapter one. My story begins when I was four years old. As I'm waking up one Sunday morning, I hear an elderly man speaking. His voice is just outside my right ear. It's very clear. He says, I am the spirit of the Most High. There is no spirit above me but God. I am confused and alarmed. Is someone else in my room? I open my eyes and look around but don't see anybody. Maybe someone's talking or playing a radio outside, I think. I get up and walk to the window. There are no people. It's too early in the morning. I have no idea what's going on, and I'm not sure I want to. I run downstairs to be with my parents and feel safe. I don't say anything about the voice, but as the day goes on, a feeling builds up that I'm being watched. In the evening, I settle into my chair at the dinner table. With me are my parents, my grandparents, and some other family members. As we're eating, I suddenly see a strange man standing behind my grandmother. He has gray hair and a gray beard and is wearing a brown robe. I assume he's a family friend who's come to join our meal. Instead of sitting down with us, though, he keeps standing behind my grandmother and looking only at me. When none of my family reacts to his presence, I slowly realize that I'm the only one who sees him. I look away to see if he'll disappear. When I look back, he's still there staring at me. His mouth doesn't move, but I can hear his voice in my right ear. It's the same voice I heard when I woke up. 
This time, he says in a calming tone, I'm here for you. I stop eating. What's wrong? My mom asks. You're not hungry? I don't answer. I just keep looking at the man who lifts his right arm and waves for me to come over to my grandmother. Feeling an undeniable instinct to follow his instruction, I climb out of my chair and walk to Grandma. He takes my hand and pulls it to my grandmother's chest while she's eating. Grandma backs away with a start. What are you doing? The gray man looks at me. Say lung cancer. I'm at a loss. I don't even know what lung cancer means. I try to say it, but it comes out as a mumble. Do it again, he tells me. Lung. Lung, I say. Cancer. Cancer, I say. My entire family is staring at me now. I'm still focused on the gray man. Now say, Grandma has lung cancer. Grandma has lung cancer, I say. I hear a fork clatter on the table. The gray man pulls my hand from my grandma and gently places it at my side. Then he turns and starts climbing steps that weren't there before. He looks back at me and says, You will hear from me all the time, but you may never see me again. Not to worry. He continues climbing until he steps through the ceiling of my house and now does disappear. My grandmother stares at me. Did you say what I thought you said? There's a panic at the table. What just happened doesn't make sense for a number of reasons, starting with the fact that, as far as we know, Grandma's fine. She hasn't noticed any problems or seen any doctors. The next morning, I wake up and hear the voice again. I am the spirit of the Most High. There is no spirit above me but God. Just like the previous morning. I look around, but I don't see anyone. From that day on, the same thing happens every morning without fail. Meanwhile, my grandmother is shaken by what I said to her. Even though she feels fine, she makes an appointment for a general checkup. A few weeks later, she visits her doctor and a chest x-ray reveals that she has lung cancer. As the mysterious visitor continues to greet me every morning, I start to pay attention to what he sounds like. His crystal clear voice is somewhere between baritone and tenor, a bit on the low side, but not very low. It has depth and resonance. Even though he's near my right ear, his speech has the stereo effect of surround sound. It's hard to gauge his age. Sometimes he sounds like he's an exceptionally strong, healthy 80-year-old, matching the gray man I saw at dinner. At other times, he sounds thousands of years old. You might say he has a soothing voice, yet I can't get used to his presence. Other mediums sometimes hear inner voices, but mine isn't internal. It's a voice directly outside my right ear, as if someone were standing next to me. I can't will it to go away. I can physically block it when I put my hand in front of my ear. I can make the voice sound very faint. As soon as I move my hand away, he's at full volume again. I ask him to stop talking to me. At first I'm polite about it. Then I'm not. It doesn't matter what I say, though. He talks whenever he wants to. I started calling the voice by name, Spirit of the Most High. Sometimes I call him Spirit for short, or Most High. By age eight, I hear Spirit continually throughout the day. He tells me about the physical health of anyone I encounter. No matter where I am or what I'm doing, I'm told about the aches, pains, and illnesses of whomever's nearby, and also what the person needs to become better. 
the relentlessness of this ongoing and intimate information is extremely stressful. I ask Spirit to stop telling me these things. I don't want to know. He tells me that he's trying to teach me as much as possible and that we can't spare a moment. When I tell him it's too demanding, he ignores me. I learn that I can engage in some conversation with him, though. When I'm old enough to pose some fundamental questions, I ask, Who are you? What are you? Where did you come from? And why are you here? Spirit replies, First, I will tell you what I'm not. I am not an angel. I am not a person. I was never human. I am not a spirit guide either. I am a word. I blink fast, trying to take all this in. All I can think to ask is, which word? (laughs) Spirit replies, compassion. I'm not sure how to respond, but I don't need to. Spirit keeps talking. (laughs) I am literally the living essence of the word compassion. I sit at the fingertip of God. Spirit, I don't understand. Are you God? No, the voice replies. At the fingertip of God sits a word, and that word is compassion. I am that word. A living word. The closest word to God. I shake my head. How can you be just a word? A word is an energy source. Certain words hold great power. God pours light into words such as I and instills us with the breath of life. I am more than a word. Is there anyone else like you, I ask? Yes. Faith, hope, joy, peace, and more. They are all living words, but I sit above them all because I am the closest to God. Do these words speak to people too? Not as I do to you. These words are not heard by the ear. They live in each person's heart and soul, as do I. Words such as joy and peace do not stand alone in the heart. They require compassion to be complete. Why can't peace be enough by itself, I ask? Many times since Spirit entered my life, I've wished for peace and quiet. Compassion is the understanding of suffering, Spirit replies. There is no peace, joy, or hope until those who suffer are understood. Compassion is the soul of these words. Without it, they are empty. Compassion fills them with truth, honor, and purpose. I am compassion, and no other sits above me but God. Trying to make sense of this, I ask, then what is God? God is a word. God is love, which is above all other words. God is also more than a word, because God loves all. God is the most powerful source of existence. People can love, but people do not love all others unconditionally. God does. It's too much for me to process. I end the conversation with one personal question. Do you talk to anyone else? Because if you do, I'm thinking, I'm going to seek them out so I don't have to feel so alone. The angels and other beings look to me for guidance. I provide all who care to listen with the lessons and wisdom of God, Spirit says. But on earth, I speak directly only to you. As you might imagine, this is a lot to absorb at the age of eight. There are other mediums who've had shocking things happen to them at a young age, 
none of their experiences quite match mine. Being able to hear a spirit voice clearly at all times and freely engage in conversation with it is extraordinary even among mediums. Even more unusual is for that voice to speak outside my ear so that it is an independent source separate from my thoughts. It's essentially having someone follow me around everywhere. Someone who keeps telling me things I really don't want to hear about the health of everyone around me. I'll just stop there. So (laughs) the book is based on the fact that he is constantly given health information. And so he finally writes a book and then he ends up writing multiple books because he can't help enough people in person. And so much of the health information from one individual to another is the same. And so beautiful. I don't want to have a closed mind. Mm-hmm. And it's not for me to decide what is truth or not. I like to be fascinated by a lot of things based on what I feel about the word love. As I picked this book up and I was reading it for the first time, that part right there where he said, God is a word, it was like everything froze. And I didn't even look ahead. I knew exactly what the next sentence was God is love. Everything's created with an element of God which is love. We should use this divine love for nowadays. For the last four years, politically speaking, there has been so much hatred. I think that we as individuals, because we're powerful, I think we should start taking our power back, choosing to use our energy by loving things that are positive and loving things that bring wholeness, enriching people's life, And I think this is how we can use our divine love that God has given us to realize that, you know what, we can change the world by changing ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's just by taking responsibility. That's why I started doing this is because of changing myself. I used to blog. I would blog projects and then I would blog things I was doing to my house, you know, just Uh how to's. Uh I decorated this, I painted this, I whatever, and I would just take pictures all the while, and then I, I would explain so what I was doing. It took a lot of time, but when my marriage fell apart, I suddenly had no desire to do that. My marriage fell apart because I fell apart. Mm. When I found out I was an enabler, that door got opened, and the opening of it was very slow. For a few months, I was terrified the whole time by what I was seeing, and I was so scared to open the door and look at it all. Once I realized it's kind of like a Band-Aid, rip it off, open that door, look at it, just do it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to hurt as long. Some people draw it out for, for years. I drew it out over months and that was too long. Mm-hmm. Once I finally was looking at everything, it was like, okay, I see what I need to do. I see where I need to heal. And isn't it easier for the next thing? You're not afraid to look at the next thing. Are you kind of like, yeah, okay, Uh let's do this because you know what's the reward at the other end, huh? Uh Uh-huh. And then I just started writing about my epiphanies. I had to share it because that's what I was doing anyway. My projects had changed. My projects became internal ones. Mm -hmm. And so I started writing. And one of my very first blog posts was expert versus experience. Oh, I love that. Part of me was like, how dare you? You are a piece of shit trying to put yourself together and you think you can write about this and share it. That was the negative committee. 
that mm-hmm. was really loud back then. Mm-hmm. And so I did. I started writing, how should I see this otherwise? Because I am not an expert. I'm in the throes of mess, but I have this whole life of experience that has put me right here needing to look at all of this. So can't I argue I'm an expert because of all of the years I have put into landing where I am right now? Mm-hmm. Not that it's a good place. And so I finally, in that moment, went, you know what? I am only an expert in me. And I think I want to be a better expert in me because I don't know so much of who I am. As much as I think I know, I know even less about who I am. Mm-hmm. And that was really where my journey started was that realization. I want to know me better. And so now I'm absolutely obsessed with self-awareness. Mm-hmm. The majority of my life was without it. I hope that I live to be so old that I could end up saying the majority of my life was with it. I would need to be a hundred, but still, (laughs) I'm going to aim for that. (laughs) There are just too many things to do and see and learn and experience. So I have to live to be a hundred, right? You will. A very healthy 100 year old. (laughs) So... I literally set down all the DIY sharing. I kept doing it. I kept changing my house. I kept refinishing pieces of furniture. I kept breaking down walls. But where I concentrated my attention in sharing was in the epiphanies. I did it believing there's no way in the world with as many people on this planet, there's no way that nobody out there couldn't benefit from the crap I'm going through. Mm -hmm. So why not just write and share, write and share. And in the beginning, I recorded a bunch and didn't share any of the recordings. It was really hard to get used to my own voice because it, you know, our it voice doesn't sound yeah. like it, it sounds in our own head and it's really hard to accept. That's me. That's what everybody else hears. I'm the one with the filter of skull and skin. Mm-hmm. Right. Know, everybody else is hearing me the way that I am. Mm-hmm. I'm the one not hearing myself accurately. So I had to kind of just wrap my head around that and then finally have the full desire to share what I was writing. And almost everything I do, I write, then I record. I just kept moving forward. Once I decided that I wanted to stop writing and sharing it visually, and I only wanted to share it through voice, was when I was like, I can have conversations with people, conversations with the people I interact with. Uh Because although most people want to be listening to famous people, a lot of regular people, even people who come into my coffee shop, possibly care what I have to say. I care what they have to say. Let's have conversations. And so everybody that I have on my podcast is somebody in my actual life. Hmm. I think there are far too many cool real life people that aren't famous that I could just keep going forever and ever and enjoying this and sharing. And it's all about perspective. Mm-hmm. perspective and self-awareness and the more we look the more we see the more we learn the greater we benefit that's what life is about is learning that's right i just said that on my other podcast with zach yeah the journey is a journey of learning that's right and that's why every person is fascinating because they have a different journey and mm-hmm. a different story mm-hmm. and it's amazing even though th- we all have different things how we learn the same lessons But the lessons are different, but we learn the moral to that lesson. It's really beautiful to see that. 
we bake the same cakes with different ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> and and some people just don't need to go through certain things. They can learn the same kind of lesson by living a very simple, beautiful, easy life. Other people, they will go through those real challenging, hard lessons of life because that's the only way they're really going to learn the lesson. It is all beautiful. And especially when you start really taking responsibility for everything in your life, then you stop becoming that victim. There's a big reward for being a victim. Let's just all face that, right? When someone's a victim, they don't have to take responsibility. They don't have to change their life. They don't have to change their mindset. They don't have to get out there and learn and grow and develop. They can stay complacent mm -hmm. and comfortable. by Because yeah, oh, excuses are real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why being responsible for yourself is critical by being responsible. This power of love within each of us really important. I meant a victim mentality. Yes. You make me think of the Celestine Prophecy. Have you read that book by James Redfield? Mm -hmm. The control dramas is where my mind goes. Mm. As you say that, not that everybody has a control drama or has to have a control drama, but the way we're raised often creates a control drama. And so by looking at oneself and acknowledging whether or not you have a control drama, poor me is one of those control mm -hmm. dramas, which is why my mind went there. If you're going to live inside of that control drama, you're going to have excuses of poor me coming up all the time. Mm -hmm. and, and boy, the excuses are very clever, aren't they? Uh -huh. <laughs> uh -huh. Whether it's about health, whether it's about wealth. Or God, spirituality. Circumstance. Blame God for everything. Yeah. Because a victim mentality, that individual is not likely even using the word victim. That's right. They aren't acknowledging. There's no association. They uh -huh. don't think that they have that at all. But it is absolutely a mentality that they are stuck inside. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I think these things are like super easy that we could overcome, really. But it takes being responsible for yourself. It takes acknowledgement and willingness. Mm-hmm which then you could argue is about responsibility and control. Yeah, Are I you like going to be in control mm -hmm. of yourself? Are you going to be responsible for yourself? Are you going to be responsible for your thoughts? Are you going to allow yourself to keep going there when you know it doesn't serve you? Mm -hmm. A short example of that is I have found that when I drive, my mind will wander and often a negative thought will pop in. I have started acknowledging it as soon as it takes hold and starts to travel. And I go, oh, hang on a second here. Why am I doing this? This is going to literally turn me to tears while I'm driving down the road if I continually think about this thought and allow it to get more and more negative or sad or anything that is not positive. Is this a thought I even need to think about? No is usually the answer. So I say to myself, I'm not going to feed the negative committee because me dwelling on the negative invites them to have a say mm -hmm. and it just gets more and more negative. I don't know that we can erase the negative committee entirely. No. But well, we can stop feeding them and inviting them to stand up. I do literally see it as a room full of people my brain has invited throughout my life to tell me how I'm supposed to see things and they're never in a good light. I'm trying to remember the name of the lady who coined the term negative committee, and I can't think of it, but I absolutely related to that. 
It is like I'm allowing others to tell me how I'm going to think. And because I did so much of that throughout my life, now I have attitude about it. Oh, you don't decide how I feel. You don't decide how I see myself. You don't dictate shit in my life, whoever you is. I now have so much attitude about it that I'm able to see the negative committee as that thing to shut down. Mm -hmm. It's so good that you have that attitude because sometimes when we're low, just getting a little angry, it actually gives us more power to overcome that negative committee. But then at some point you have to start going, okay, do I really need to have this attitude anymore? You can take a step even further back and go, no, I don't even need to have an attitude about it. I can just be like, yeah, there it is. Okay, I'm moving on with my life. I have better things to do. And it's all a process. Learning to stand up to those negative mindsets and changing them. Mm -hmm. So at first we get upset and angry about them and we fight against them. But then we learn to insert the positive. And it's by replacing it with this positivity, which I believe is a form of love taking that responsibility and say, okay, do I really want to love my negativeness or do I want to really learn to love being in my positivity and shifting it that way? I literally do see it like that. When I acknowledge it, I say, do I want to feed them or do I want to feed happiness? Isn't that beautiful? And I go, oh my God, look what I'm doing. I don't want to feed them because they take over Mm -hmm. and they get more and more in control of how I'm feeling if I allow this. And so usually, like I say, it only takes a few minutes for the thought process to get more and more negative before I go, oh, hang on. No, I would rather not be driving and feeling sad or upset. I would rather be driving and feeling happy about all the good things in my life. I literally take control of my thoughts and say, okay, steering this direction now. I'm not going to feed those idiots. Yeah. You know, they do not serve me. I used to be so sad and negative. And I remember it was one day I just made a decision. I don't care how negative my situation or environment is. I'm going to start being happy and I am going to find something good every single day. And I'm going to up it. I'm going to find 20 things that I am happy about and I'm grateful for. And nothing in my environment had changed. But I made it a goal and I wrote it down every day. Within a month, my life got a little bit worse. Oh, (laughs) It really did. And I thought, I don't care. It's like it's testing me or something. And I don't care. I'm going to be happy. And so I'm going to find 20 things to be happy for. And all this negativity can dance around and I don't care. I choose to be happy. And I choose by one grateful thought at a time. And Then things started changing even more and it started getting better and better and better. And I started finding 30 things to be grateful for and then 40 things to be grateful for. So it really does start little. I love that example because you have your negative committee and then you have your positive committee and whichever one, you know, like that fable, the tale of the wolves, you have two wolves living inside you and you become the wolf that you feed. So if you feed that negativity, it's just one thought at a time. And before you know it, that wolf's going to consume you. But if you feed that positive wolf one thought at a time, before you know it, that positivity is going to consume you. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I agree with you, Natalie, just feeding that positivity. It just makes life really fun. I do have to acknowledge that it doesn't feel as though I have a positive committee. 
it's me and them. And Whoa. because they are vast in number, mm-hmm. it's it's like everybody has something to say. I don't have an actual number, but I kind of see it as a conference table. Isn't it funny? I see them as male. A conference <laughs> table of like 20 negative males. They don't actually have human faces. They uh-huh. have like monster faces. Do they just throw out a lot of judgment towards you that you feel that? No. They... They take a thought and they go, and this, and the other, and don't you hate it when, and it will be like this. And they only have suggestion of awfulness Mm. that me sitting alone on the far end of the table, just little old me, I should be saying, oh yeah, you're right. It's this tininess. It's this measliness. It's this, I can't think for myself. I'm so little and they're so big and look at all the things that they have to say. And they come with all of these suggestions that are negative, that aren't positive. And I'm so easily overwhelmed by it. I don't have a committee to help me on my end of the table. Their end of the table is all them and so much to say. And I'm just over here either taking it on board and believing it, or I have to take control of the whole goddamn room and say, shut up. I'm not going to listen to any of you, which is why it's kind of hard to do to shut down all the negativity and why I say, am I going to feed those monsters? Mm -hmm. No, I don't want to feed them. I don't want to feel what they make me feel. Right. But I'm the one in control. Where am I going to turn my thoughts instead? I'm going to not even look at the negative committee. I'm going to exit the room and I'm going to enter a room of happiness. And unfortunately, I'm probably the only one in that room. (laughs) But it feels better. A new committee. I have never felt as though that committee exists. But the negative committee feels very real. Napoleon Hill wrote a book and it's called The Law of Success in 16 Lessons. And he talks about we should all form a committee. He really does say that. And he advises in this committee is to go throughout society of people that you admire or leaders that you really have a deep respect for or resonate with, or it could be a family member and form your own committee. What a great (laughs) idea. Because do you know where my thought process has been lately is that I need to make a list of heroes. That's exactly it. You have this committee over here of negativity and we all do. And I'm so glad you're sharing this. It is leaving that room, knowing that that's just going to be there and whatever. You're going to put your focus, your attention, and your divine power of love, and you are going to form a new committee. So someone that I really love is this man in my old ward, and he does service for people all the time. I have never met someone so genuine, so loving. He remembers everyone's name. Mm. He remembers their life and what they're going through. And to me, he is someone that would be on my happiness committee because he has this strength of loving people and giving to people. And he has a lovely wife and family. He is a happy individual. So this is what Napoleon Hill was recommending we do is we create a committee of people and they're in our imagination. We glean from their skill sets, from their virtue from their inspiration and things that come to our mind. I think that's really fascinating that you did that. 
this makes so much sense because the negative committee only talks about negative things, whereas building this committee has to be people that you would know what they would say because positivity doesn't just come out of nowhere. It requires attention and concentration. Mm -hmm. However, just to use one of my heroes who needs to be on my positive committee, as an example, I can imagine what one of my heroes would say. One of my top current heroes is Michelle Obama. Her perspective is so spot on with how I see the world, with the way I want to think. So see, that's exactly what Napoleon's talking about. The people that you respect, that you admire, that you have some type of connection. You would imagine what they're saying. <laughs> Napoleon gave the example that he had Abraham Lincoln on his committee. Abraham Lincoln died years ago, right? Napoleon Hill never met him, but he imagined what advice he would give. And he does say in the book that he was amazed by the inspiration that would come to his mind. Oh, wow. That's yeah. cool. I need yeah. a positive committee. Okay. Yes, exactly. It, it's the same thing that we've been talking about the whole time. We, we get to choose as people, do we want the negativity or the positivity? And it's one step at a time. If we were going to go to the gym and work out, which I really need to do one day. <laughs> you know, I hear that you have to go and lift weights. <laughs> Lightweights at first, and then it gets heavier. That's what I hear. <laughs> I'll stick to the treadmill, but... <laughs> you should come to my gym. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've got stuff you can use that I don't use. I recently broke a bone in my oh. foot, which is why I'm wearing this huge cast. And I have been dwelling on how nice it used to be to walk smoothly. Mm. It's such a heavy cast, and it's pain in the ass mm -hmm. and I keep craving smooth walking like I used to do. Mm -hmm. I took it for granted. And so now I walk past my treadmill every day, multiple times. And I'm saying, after this comes off, how dare you not get on that treadmill? <laughs> That's right. I've taken it so for granted. That treadmill may as well be brand new. Like it may as well be brand spanking new <laughs> for how much use I have given it. are, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm not going to take it for granted or walking smoothly. I do keep saying, one day I'm going to exercise. I think one day will arrive when this is healed. <laughs> and won't it be a glorious day? <laughs> <laughs> oh, won't it? <laughs> I remember the first time that I ran around a track. Because I like to walk. I love to be outdoors. But the first time I started jogging around a track, I just thought, I am going to die. This is so hard. But then the next day, it got a little, you know, I could go a little bit further. Two months later, I was running around that track and it was so easy. That's an awesome point. <laughs> it does take going a little further and going a little further to finally go, oh, okay, this isn't as hard as it was. Mm -hmm. I can do this. And my mind, as you said, that went to excuses. Mm -hmm. Because one of my excuses is that as a child, I learned I have exercise-induced asthma. And I lose the ability to comfortably breathe, and I can't get rid of the sensation. I had an asthma attack when my dad made me run as a child one time with him. Oh. I always had to do whatever he was doing. He pulled me along with everything. And I had an asthma attack. 
which scared the shit out of him oh. and made it so I didn't have to run with him anymore, which was a good thing. <laughs> yeah. But it scared the shit out of me too. Absolutely. All it takes is one of those attacks where you can't breathe uh -huh. and all of a sudden you're like, I don't want to go there again. Yeah. So I have not for the majority of my life exercised. As you were talking about that, my brain went straight to that. Oh, I have an excuse. Oh. I have an excuse to not mm. run. I have an excuse to not exercise. When the reality is I haven't had an asthma attack since I can remember in my adulthood, but I have this excuse living back in my psyche, mm -hmm. stopping me from exercising. And we all do that. We all have different things. When this cast comes off and I can bend everything normally again, mm -hmm. we I should do a walk. 5K together. I'm not kidding. When that gets off and summertime rolls around, I want to know the joy that those people who run seem to have. <laughs> Speaking of exercise and gym and breathing and lungs and all of that, I listened to a podcast recently with Lewis Howes. Lewis Howes and the School of Greatness, and the podcast number is 1060. The Truth About Breathing and Why You're Doing It Wrong with James Nestor. So this guy is a researcher, not a doctor. And he found that when we breathe through our nose, there are so many processes that take place in the getting oxygen to our lungs that do not happen when we breathe through our mouths. Mm. I was like... I just want to breathe through my nose the rest of my life. And I have been concentrating <laughs> on breathing properly, whether I'm laying in bed trying to fall asleep, driving down the road, in the shower. And one of the ways to breathe through your nose is to put your tongue on the roof of your mouth and kind of create a seal for your nose to do the breathing. Hmm. We have somehow gotten out of this habit. One of the reasons he uses is the Victorians. He talks a lot about the diaphragm, stopping the diaphragm from doing its job, you know, the corsets and the binding. And so we've gotten so lazy that we aren't breathing properly and we are less healthy because of it. Ooh, that's Maybe my teaching myself, reteaching myself how to breathe can help me exercise and eventually run. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> we'll eventually do a 5K. Okay. We you, can even just walk a 5K. We'll find love for exercise. We will. <laughs> if we invite it in. Yes. If we call it, it will come. Yeah. I think it's kind of fun how we have, you know, started out talking about love and how we are just like talking about normal stuff of life. Because that is really what the whole message is about is like trying to get people to realize even talking about health and running or walking or working out at the gym or whatever, you're using your divine power, which is the, the power of love. I just think if more people could just do that and be aware of it, mm -hmm. this is what changes the world. Mm -hmm. Also reveling in those you love the most. I've been doing more of that lately. Mm -hmm. Not to fork the road, but... That's what came into my mind when you said that. I've been acknowledging the people who matter most, the gifts they bring into my life just by existing, and the joy I get from communicating with them and seeing them, talking to them, benefiting from knowing them, and literally reveling in that love. Mm. How great the bond of friendship love can be. Mm. 
See, and that would go on your committee. That would go in your positivity. Oh, your these love people committee. should be on my positive committee, shouldn't they? The people that matter Absolutely. so much that I have such deep love for. Yeah, they have. They love you and they respect you and appreciate you. They definitely need to be in that committee. I need to literally write down the people on this committee so that anytime the negative committee wants to have a say, I can immediately picture the faces of the people on my positive committee. That's right. And not just have it live as an idea, have it live as a visual in my mind's eye. Yeah. It's a practice. A lot of times people pray. They pray in the morning, they pray at lunch, over their food, they pray in the evening before they go to sleep. It's the same thing. When you have this committee, you make it a practice on a daily basis. Napoleon Hill said that he met at a certain time every night with his committee. He Hmm. would go into a room, shut the door, and just be in his meditation. What a neat idea. That's what we should all do. Yeah. And that's a really good example of being in control of yourself, too. I am deciding this is what I'm going to do with my mind's eye, with my thought processes, with my evening, with moments, minutes, an hour, whatever. It's an actual conscious decision and it's control over yourself and being responsible. I love this idea. I love it too. I love love. I know. I love love too. It makes everyone so happy. I have um, a patient and she's so beautiful. She's a hundred years old. Oh, wow. And her husband died last year and he was 98. They were married for over 70 years and so in love, so in love. And I just think that's a beautiful Valentine story. (laughs) Oh, that is cool. Yeah. Talk about a beautiful life of giving and sharing and learning to grow together. Yeah. Unfortunately... I think that so much of our modern day world has segregated women and love from men. What's interesting is I see that healing in the youth of today because what's come to my attention again and again is young men are finding it seemingly very comfortable to be able to say, I love you. And in my job, I work with a lot of young people, a lot of young men too. At first, it's shocking to be told by a young man, I love you, especially because the grown-ass men aren't saying this. They're not comfortable enough to just go, I love you. Mm-hmm. Grown women, heck, I have customers who will shout it through the window. You and I have done that. Oh, yeah. I love you. Love you. See you later. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's very comfortable for women, very comfortable for grown women. It seems to lose its comfort with grown men Or I'm not sure if it's just young men are changing and they are being able to say it. I think that's it. They're getting permission to say it. And I think older men weren't given that. Yeah. Because of society. Yes. I think that nowadays it's so beautiful. People get to be authentic. It does culturally seem that a little bit of androgyny Mm -hmm. where emotion is concerned is fine among straight young men. Mm-hmm. Yes. Young men of today, and I can honestly say I'm guessing somewhere around 24. 24 and under, they seem to be very comfortable with saying, I love you. Mm. And not just to me. I'm not saying, oh yeah, I've got all these people telling me they love me. No, it's the environment that I'm working in, the culture of modern day. I 
come across a lot of people. So I think my perception is a valid perception of what I'm seeing happening. And it, is. it yes. warms my heart that we might be healing this thing that grown men are so distanced from. I look at it with grown men that in a way, it's just the society that they were raised in. It was how their parents taught them. If they were given the opportunities and the permissions, then they might be a different person. Yeah. They might be able to express themselves on a deeper level. Yeah. You know, I think that people are really beautiful and what we experience is what our souls needed. It's really beautiful what you're saying about these younger men, because they can make everyone's day uh -huh. by just saying, I love you. Thank you for coming. Uh huh. Yeah. And they do. I see it. Young men and young women, I see the effect of love and happiness and genuineness constantly. It's like they get into your heart and just kind of help to open it up. Maybe I can be a little bit more loving too. Mm -hmm. I transferred from one coffee shop to another mm -hmm. and in doing so lost connection with hundreds of people that I regularly got to see and appreciate and even say I love you too. So now I'm in a new environment, different people, strangers that I can't even say that I, I love them because I don't know them. I don't know their names. I, I wouldn't randomly do that with strangers. I wouldn't make people uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but I even said just today at work, I really do miss that. And I knew I would miss it because the customers are probably 75% of what I loved about my job. Is that being a bright light in somebody's day for those few moments? And yes, part of that is handing over a cup of coffee, which people love. But the experience of being handed a cup of coffee from somebody who can be a light versus somebody who is a dark hole. Yeah. The difference is mm. night and day. Opposite. I've been on that receiving end. Oh. And that's why there's always a really long line. Because... People come for the experience hmm. and just to have that, you know, connection and friendship and just that dose of love. Mm -hmm. You know, I hadn't really thought that that's why they come, but I can't deny that it probably is. Oh, yeah. One day I had a total stranger and she said to me randomly as the momentary interaction was over, she goes, you're doing a really good job. And my heart stopped. It was one of those moments where it's like, Oh my God, the tears. Oh my God, the tears. How am I going to stop the tears? Because I think I needed that in that moment. Things had happened the day before mm -hmm. that had somebody telling me I was rubbish. And I know I'm not rubbish. I see how people react to me. So I know I do a good job. No, you can have tears. It's authentic. Plus, I know what a good job is. I have this story in my intonation training about regularly speaking in respect and it not being heard and then finally having to stand up for myself. And that happened. And then the day after this girl said that to me, she said, you're doing a really good job. Um, and although I knew it, I believed it. Apparently, I needed to hear it. Total stranger. And it just went straight into my heart. Mm -hmm. I remember her face as clear as day. I haven't seen her since. I had never seen her before. Oh. Gosh, I was just so grateful for that in that moment. 
I literally went into the back and cried because I couldn't not cry. Oh, aren't people so good? Yeah. I think people are so beautiful. They just need to be able to be themselves just like that. She just changed her whole day, but even your life, because we're talking about it right now. That's how powerful people are. And if they only knew that, because I think they've been listening to the negative committee about themselves all their life, that they don't even know that in the next room is their positive committee and they have the right to create that and use their power of love to empower their life. Everyone deserves to have a happy life. That's why I had to interrupt you. I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, there is no positive committee. No, it's just me (laughs) against them. I'm like, clarity. they're in the other room. (laughs) And I just hadn't even considered there could be a positive committee because it's them and me. And and so much of my life has felt that way, you know. Yeah. It's me against the world. Yes. And a lot of people feel that way. Me against anything and everything. Me against, you know, being a single homeowner, you kind of encounter that constantly. Mm Mm-hmm. If I want the lawn mowed, I've got to do it. If I want my plumbing fixed, I've got to do it. If I want that wall ripped down, I've got to do it. And I don't have money to throw at ideas that I come up with. Mm-hmm. I've got to do it if I want it. Right. And it's a blessing to realize that this negative committee, it's formed spiritually. You know, criticizing you're not good enough or you don't do this or you did that wrong or da 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 And as you create your new positive committee... It's spiritual too. Even though we physically may or may not have a lot of um, people in our life to support us, maybe there's not a lot of family members close by, maybe you're by yourself, you still, you get to have a positive committee. It is spiritual in nature and it becomes very sacred. It's almost like having a conversation with God or the universe. And even though you physically may not have someone you can reach out and touch, You have that spiritual feeling inside of peace and comfort. But also by choosing people that that you in air quotes know, like Mm -hmm. you know things that they would say, you know how they would say them, especially including the people in your immediate life that matter the most. Gosh, I can read a text from those people and hear their intonation to a T. I know them so well. Why not put them on my positive committee? Just... I wish I had thought of this sooner. Well, Napoleon wrote it. Oh, that's been around for, I want to say, 50, 60 years. Uh And it's a short chapter and it's not talked about a lot. Um, Does he call them a positive committee? I'm curious if he he uses the word committee. He doesn't call them a positive committee. He says that you have a committee and it is done spiritually. It's in your imagination and it feels very real. But I like that how you made that. You realize that you have a negative committee, which we all do, and we have a positive committee. But it's nice to know that someone that had studied all of the wealthy and the elite people of the world and spent 20 years of his life analyzing them and writing down everything about these wealthy men and why they were so successful. I have his book, Think and Grow Rich. I haven't read it, though. Uh huh. Well, he wrote these laws of success. In 16 lessons. And these are the things that he came up with from studying all these wealthy, successful people. Cool. Yeah. So they do it. We can do it. We can. We can do anything we set our minds to. Mm-hmm. 
Natalie, I am so happy to be here with you. This has been really enjoyable. I hope we get to do it again sometime. Good. Love the topic. I I love you. You're just a wonderful person. I love you too. You've always been such a, a beautiful light in my day. And I know that we knew each other before you were getting coffee on a regular basis. Right. But what a bonus. And I'm so glad we haven't lost touch, even though right. I'm no longer at a coffee shop that you frequent. Right. <laughs> Put it that way. This is like lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> There'll always be another adventure we get to do. Uh-huh. You know, I feel very fortunate. Yeah, I really enjoy you. And I love hearing your perspective too. You always seem to have perspective that is not typical of anyone else around me. And so you're refreshing in many ways. I'm really grateful for that. Thank you. Thank Thank you for sharing this space with me. You're doing a great work. Keep it up. It's awesome. It's not for everyone, but it's for some. Oh, I think that everyone benefits from it, really. I'm just glad I got to be a part of it. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad too.